Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too, a podcast with me, Samantha Hees, and him, Andy Randawa. And of course, here on I Love This, You Should Too, we are proud members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. And we love getting to talk about our sponsors every week. Yeah, and this week, oddly enough, one of our sponsors is the Alberta Podcast Network, so we get to play this little clip from one of our co-members, and that one is called, quite simply, Eat More Barbecue. Hi, y'all. This is Ryan from the Eat More Barbecue Podcast. I'm just a guy that loves slow-smoked southern barbecue. I love eating it, I love cooking it, and I really love talking about it. I want to help grow the barbecue culture here in Alberta, and this podcast is a great way for me to share the stories of the people involved in the barbecue community, like restaurant operators and competitive barbecue cooks. Along the way, I also visit with other folks like farmers, distilleries, breweries, and anything of interest to barbecue people. A new episode comes out every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep on smoking, folks. Well, I think everybody could eat more barbecue. I don't know if everybody should. No. I, I probably should. I mean, like, because it's enjoyable, not because it's, like, a healthy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, let's eat more barbecue. Let's, eat more let's barbecue. take that advice. Let's buy a barbecue. Deal. Well, today we'll each have a spoiler-free thing of the week, and then at the end, Samantha will let us know what we're watching for next week. But first, Sam, what have you been into lately? Um, So I'm going to do another book to this today, because, like we said... I think a pre-episode ago, I have read a lot of books. I'm almost at my 75 books for the year. So uh, the book that I am excited about this week is called The Other Mrs. Miller. And this is one I read earlier this year, but it kind of kind of stuck with me. Um, it's one of those books where I don't want to tell you like too much about it because it's got some like pretty crazy twists and some character relationships that you kind of don't see coming so i'm gonna try and not give any spoiler i uh, spoiler things from the book but um it's uh written by allison dickinson it was published uh in july 2019 and um it is kind of a thriller mystery suspense novel are you able to say anything about the plot without giving it away um, I will try because <laughs> all of the synopsises I found online um, really kind of give away like a large part of the plot just mm-hmm. in how they describe it. And I think it's a smaller part of the major plot. So I think they think like, oh, it's okay. But um, this is about a woman named Phoebe Miller. Uh, she has a famous father and is kind of used to paparazzi and um, people knowing who she is and maybe a little bit of stalking. So she notices a car starting to show up in the like on the street that she lives in and uh, she doesn't know why someone would be spying on her unless it was about her dad. So I. Uh, she is a day drinker, chronic day drinker. I think we just call that alcoholism. Yeah, probably. But unless you're on vacation, then it's just fun time. Oh yes, exactly. Um, and she uh like barely leaves her house because her dad has left such kind of a shadow over her life. And um 
She only starts to retreat out of her shell when a new family moves in across the street, and she has this new best friend named Vicky, and Vicky has a son named Jake, and um, as soon as they come into her life, things start to get very strange. Ooh. I, don't, I, I was trying to figure out a word for that, but I think strange is the best word. Strange. I guess I can't ask how, but... Not supernaturally strange? Not supernatural. There's no supernatural okay. in this book. Uh, it is... Peculiar. Peculiar. Odd strange, things happen? Creepy, maybe. Okay. Um, But uh, there's also some kind of, like, psychological stuff that happens, so you're never quite sure if it's Phoebe who's not, like, fully cognizant of what's going on oh, or do we have an unreliable narrator here possibly okay so you don't really know until the end of the book but um yes it's definitely phoebe begins to kind of doubt herself halfway through the book but this unreliable narrator you felt more relatable than like i'm a cyborg but that's okay yes okay <laughs> yes um and maybe that's just because i'm more familiar with or, like, I relate more to this, like, world, whereas that mental institution with Cyborg Girl, I didn't really relate to that much. I could imagine meeting these people. So um, I don't want to say anything else, though, because I'm, I'm worried I'm going to spoil it. But if you like books like Gone Girl or um, anything that's kind of psychological and has lots of like twists and turns and like a really shocking outcome then this is a good book for you do you find that this movie or this book has perhaps some shared content with a simple favor possibly okay in that it's like two female friends and twisty and turny i think this might be twistier than simple favor i feel like this would be really hard to make into a film Mm -hmm. because there's something about reading it that I feel like would be hard to translate to the screen. And then, of course, my follow-up question is, are they making it into a movie? Because it seems like any book with a little bit of success gets turned into a movie. Um, I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to look that up. But um, usually I don't dig that hard into that. But I, I could see this being difficult. There's a lot of, like, nuances that... It would be kind of maybe maybe I'm just not a very good filmmaker. <laughs> or what they usually do is they just turn it into a bad movie. There you go. Because there are a lot of books that should not be turned into yeah. movies that have been. To uh, sometimes it's it's quite surprising how good they can make it, but a lot of the times they'll just uh, make a very mediocre movie out of it. Yeah, I think reading it would have a better outcome than watching it. Okay. Yeah, because there's and- a lot more like context or like sure. emotions that you read and you know they're there then without having to like have someone come on screen and be like I'm sad right well if you're <laughs> a, a talented filmmaker you should be able to get that stuff across yes but it does seem like a television series is a better fit for a lot of novels and I think we're starting to see things go that way more often and short stories should be movies mm-hmm I agree. I think this might actually be a good, maybe like four episode, like a mini series or something. Okay, not even a full. No, I I don't know. I feel like then it starts to lose the like snappiness of the plot if you make it too long. So I, I don't know. I could see this being divided up into like quarters. 
And you often like to listen to your books. Was this one you listened to as well? Yes. And then my next thing is, because you've become quite a connoisseur of audiobooks, <laughs> how is the narration on this one? I really enjoyed it. Okay. It was very, very good. Um, yeah, you know that I, I will literally listen to a book for 10 minutes and then return it to the library because of bad narrators or whatever. So I enjoyed this one. The voice, this is one of those ones where the voice really matches kind of the character and the feel. Is the narrator anyone we would know? I don't think so. Which I think is good because uh, like with voice acting in movies, we tend to just give it to celebrities who are famous for something that is not voice acting. And we just think, ah, they'll be fine. Yeah. The and only so it's good time to see I... voice people do it. Yeah. The work. only time I like when actors do it is if it's like a biography, like oh, an autobiography. Sense, yeah. When they're reading their own book, that's the only time I like it. That being said, I listened to uh, some of a book. I ended up reading most of it, and it was narrated by John Malkovich, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> um, it is narrated by Holly Palance, who I don't know that I know, but I really liked her. I've, st- I've become such a snob about narrators that now I'm just listening to like all the books that a certain narrator has narrated. Yeah, you're such an audiobook <laughs> audiophile but uh, not okay, yeah. in the music sense yeah but you love readers yeah. and you go based on the reader rather than the writer often yeah so i started with the bridgerton books and i really love the narrator of that one so much and one of the bridgerton books that i listened to out of the eight uh had a different narrator because the library didn't own the version with this other narrator and so i went through and found every other book that this narrator has done and have listened to it now, which is why I have read like 67 books this year. Wow. Um, yeah, so I would recommend The Other Mrs. Miller by Alison Dixon. And I, it should be pretty widely available because it's still a pretty new book. And I think it was uh, relatively popular with people that like this kind of book. And you got the audiobook from our good friends at the public library? Yes, at the Edmonton awesome. Public Library. On... So then other ones will probably have it as well. There are times where certain audiobooks are not available because of Audible. Audible oh. buys things and then they are exclusive and they can no longer go to libraries. <sighs> so that's why. Like Audible is great because like, hey, audiobooks, that's awesome. But they're actually doing bad things for the availability of audiobooks overall. Sounds good. Okay. So Indy, what, what are you into this week? What's happening in Indy's world? Well, I almost want to talk about books now because I'm still continuing my Kurt Vonnegut journey. I think I'm seven novels or books of short stories as well. Uh, this which is about halfway through his whole collection. Mm-hmm. But I don't have anything very specific to say. But I did want to tell you about something I experienced because I read uh, Breakfast of Champions mm-hmm. not too long ago. And I thought, look, it was fine. But then I heard someone explain it. There's this podcast called The Kurt Vonnegut's. With uh, Michael Swaim, who I think is very smart, and uh, Alex Schmidt. They're both smart guys. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about it. And I think I had a similar experience that you did when we were talking about I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. Yeah. Because I saw this book as a bunch of disjointed stories that are just here and there. And the entire plot of this book could be summarized in like three sentences. Oh, that's never a good sign. But then... 
uh, Swain was talking about how this is maybe his favorite novel ever. And he started talking about like, oh, and all those disjointed stories, if you pay attention, they start building on this singular theme. And it goes about uh, like the downfall of literature or as it's regarded by the American public through these little stories. And I was like, oh, I just didn't get that. And you often, when we have conversations, you'll just be like, oh, I just didn't get that. But that's really cool. Yeah. And I haven't had too many opportunities to be like oh like so far after the fact but oh, this I was like that. a week after i read the book and then i listened to them talk about it and i was like i need to reread this book yeah. because i did miss it because i was reading it not terribly closely mm-hmm. because it was so disjointed and such a departure from a lot of other things I'd read. Mm-hmm. And the the author of the book then appears in the book as the author of the book. And starts telling people, like, well, I wrote you so I can make whatever happen. Whoa, and it's just, I was like, yeah, it's just too, like, what's the nice way of saying, like, too up its own ass? <laughs> so I didn't love it. But then when I heard people talk about it, people who do love it, I appreciate it a lot more. And even if I don't appreciate it more, I'm definitely more curious about it and want to kind of hmm. re-examine it. Okay. But that's not even my thing of the week. Oh, I assumed that <laughs> learning about how I feel sometimes was your thing of the week. No, that's just a, a, a fun little aside. Oh, I like that, though. Uh, but my thing of the week is the television show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Ah, yes. I have seen some of it, and I agree. It is a thing. So if you're not familiar, it's a... I guess sitcom, do we still call all comedies sitcoms? I think so. It's a police procedural crossed with a comedy. And it's a 30-minute show that debuted on Fox and then went over to NBC after it was canceled. It stars Andy Samberg is the lead, and I really like him. I like all that Lonely Island stuff. I think it's legitimately good and funny, (laughs) which it's hard to do both. And has uh, Stephanie Beatriz, who I only learned of from the show, Melissa Fumero... Andre Brower, who is has like such a uh, a presence, and he's a dramatic actor. And then he came to this. I think this is the first comedy he ever did, and he's great in it. Joe Latruglio, uh, Terry Crews, and it was created by Dan Gore and Michael Schurz. And Dan Gore was a writer for Parks and Rec, uh, Conan, The Daily Show. And Michael Schur is someone who you are a big fan of, even if you don't know it, because he was a co-creator of The Office, The Good Place, and Parks and Rec. Oh. So just a couple of the best shows, I think, that have ever been made. Ever, ever, ever? (laughs) I actually don't think The Office is as great as a lot of other people do. No, I don't either. But Parks and Rec, I think, is one of the best shows ever, and The Good Place is quite good as well. Was he in something? Or am I just recognizing him from some, like, just from being... As an actor, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, he acts in a lot of the things that he created. I think you might recognize him as Mose from The Office, like Dwight's cousin. Yes. Okay, I <laughs> saw his face. and I, It's him at an award show, so it's not even, like, him dressed up or anything. But uh, I definitely recognize him from that. It's funny because he has this like silly role, but he created all of these shows. Wow. And it's about a police precinct in Brooklyn and the funny hijinks that they get into. But there are actual crimes going on. 
that they're solving sometimes that are funny and sometimes it's not really a funny crime but the uh, the characters are what makes it funny and i think it's definitely a character driven show and i appreciate character based comedy more than a lot of the uh, like non sequitur comedy we see on most sitcoms because the comedy is derived from oh and i just hear myself saying this and nothing is less funny than explaining why something is funny please tell me why this is funny (laughs) but that's kind of what we do on the show uh it's derived from getting to know these characters and their behaviors and then how they react in specific situations so it relies a lot on the character building over the episodes, which is, I think, very good. And the performances, which I also think is really good. Hmm. They do get into, like, wacky situations, but they don't rely on the wackiness as much as the characters' reactions to those situations. Yeah. And because the characters are so developed and, I don't want to say predictable, but they are in the sense that you feel like you know them so well that you know mm-hmm. how they would react to things, and that's where the comedy comes from. And a lot of the times, it's when they defy the expectations of who, what you think they would do. And it comes from that as well. Right. That is a nice thing. Like, I think that's made Parks and Rec even funnier in the later seasons was because you know these characters so well and you're like expecting that reaction. Yeah. And this show is remarkably like Parks and Rec (laughs) that if it were created by someone else, I would just say it's a ripoff because they steal a lot from it. But it's kind of taking a very familiar formula, if you've seen that, and just putting it in a new situation. Mm -hmm. And assuming we at some point do this show... Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine on our show sure we'll get into that a lot more but I think after you watch a bit you'll be like oh yeah I see what's going on here <laughs> and I don't mean that as a as a slight on this show I love that formula so I like seeing it here too yeah it's it's like comfort food and similarly like Parks and Rec or at least after the first two seasons of Parks and Rec mm-hmm. uh, the comedy in this isn't mean-spirited like I feel it is in a lot of shows and I think that's why, although I do like The Office, I think it's a very good show, I don't put it at the same level as these two shows because I kind of hate most of the people in The Office. Yeah, I don't love The Office either. And I think that's kind of the appeal. It's you see people on The Office and you're like, oh yeah, I work with someone like that and I hate <laughs> them. And that's the relatability is you are the Jim or the Pam and then you're complaining about all of these right. people. And I, I get that. And it's very good for that. But on the other hand, both Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you kind of want to be friends with each person. True, yeah. And in the long run, I find that more enjoyable. Hmm. I find it more enjoyable to like the people rather than laughing at them, at their misfortune, because you hate them. And I think we said that about uh, like Parks and Rec, too. We said, like, we love... That we just want to be friends with everybody. Yes. And like Shit's Creek and like all yeah. these like really great comedy shows. You just want to be best friends with these people and like have them in your life for real. Yeah. And I think that is something new that Michael Schur is really pioneering because with The Good Place as well, mm-hmm. there are bad characters in there and then they grow to become better people. And yes. I think that is the case in this show as well. Which takes something which is very funny already and then just gives it that extra little push to make it great rather than just, yeah, that's a really funny show. Like, I think one of the most famous scenes from this that I often see on, for some reason, is on like Instagram and Facebook and things. There is a cold open where there's, you know, like the uh, 
the usual suspects lineup thing where they're all lined up the all the suspects for a crime and you say like number one step forward you know yeah. that whole bit yeah they're asking them to sing uh i want it that way which is <laughs> uh the backstreet boys yeah. right and that's like a, a funny bit classic song and then they all sing it and they're surprisingly good and um Jake, who is uh, and Andy Samberg, is all happy about how it's going, and he's kind of getting lost in the moment. And then the person on the other side of the glass was like, "Oh yeah, that's him. Number two, that's the guy that killed my brother." <laughs> and then you're, and Jake's reaction to it is like, "Oh my god, this is serious. I forgot about it." I think that's a good example of this like wacky comedy mm-hmm. because you're getting all these perps to to sing, mm-hmm. which is funny on its own. But by adding Sandberg at the end, reacting in a way of like, oh my god, I forgot that this is serious. Mm -hmm. The joke then is on him not kind of taking this seriously rather than on this woman whose brother was murdered. Right. And I think that's like a good example of how things are treated on this show. Victims are not the joke. Right. Sometimes their own ineptitude or preconceptions is the joke. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think another thing the show is really famous for is its diversity without getting into tokenism, because it's super rare to have a show that has two black bald men on it. You just can't have it unless your show is all black people. I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. Or two Latina women. Right. Or two queer characters. Unless the show is explicitly about that, you just don't get it because tokenism is like, okay, we got a gay person. Done. Checkbox. Yeah. Like, we check that off. It's a form. Yeah. This show does not do that. And not because they're trying to prove how diverse they are, but they have these really strong characters written. And then they just cast actors who are great for that, regardless of what they look like. So being black or gay or Latina doesn't define any of these characters. It's just a part of who they are, which Mm -hmm. is still like really rare on TV to have anyone who is a minority and their character is not just, I am this minority. Right. And it never seems to be like proving a point through any of its casting. And it's because of that that I think this does a better job at having a diverse cast and celebrating that rather than just getting into tokenism of... We have one of each race. There, you guys are happy now, right? Mm -hmm. Because then it is like a form. Yeah, exactly. I like the fact that on this show, being a man can mean that you're like opera loving and gay. It can mean you're a bodybuilder who's a great father. It can mean that you have like arrested development and a bunch of father issues yourself. Or it can mean that you openly express love at every opportunity. There's just a wide variety Similarly, being a woman can mean that you're super tough and you carry a 10-inch buoy knife in your boot at all times, but you still love ballet. Or it can mean that you're a great leader or a great mother. Or it can mean that you never want to get married or have children. Like, all of those are just as valid in this show, which, oh, again, yeah, is not Going your own everywhere. way, yeah. making your own choices. Yeah, that's, I do love shows like that that don't, like stereotype yeah it's hard to find a stereotype on this show yeah and when there is one it is for the comedic purpose it's of, like making fun of it of people who believe in such stereotypes not the people who could fit into those stereotypes right which is a, a, a fine line but an important one yeah and i love the friendships on the show which is something we had definitely talked about with both schitt's creek and parks and rec 
and how friends on this learn and grow from each other and they're vocal and loving in their friendships, which is just nice, you know? Yeah. And I like when characters do get together romantically because, of course, on a show that has to happen eventually, they don't treat each other badly for the sake of a joke, which happens on a lot of TV shows. If you're the guy, it's always like, oh, no. I'm going to get in trouble from my wife. That's just such a bit on sitcoms. And it's so, so tired. It was tired in the 80s. And it's definitely tired now. And they managed to do jokes on this show based on how much a couple loves each other and how they are growing together, which is a, a very hard thing to do. But they'll make a joke about like, oh, I can do this now because that's something I learned from you, my loving wife. Yes. And like that's... Just doesn't sound funny, but if you've watched later seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you'll be like, yeah, no, I get why that is incredibly (laughs) funny. And now the show is over. It ended in September of this year, and it ended in a good time and in a good way. And if you're doing a show about New York City cops, even if you're primarily concentrating on comedy, there are definitely some things you cannot ignore. You cannot ignore things about policing in the United States right right now. And they didn't. And I give them so much credit for that and how they tackled that in a very tactful way that it is still a funny show. Uh They do a few episodes every now and then that deal with more serious matters, but it's a comedy Uh above all else. And... When they approach these topics, especially in the last season, it didn't feel forced from either side. It didn't feel like a, yeah, but go police. And it was very critical of a lot of policing, but not everyone on the show was. It kind of displayed a variety of emotions that people could be feeling about Mm -hmm. this. And of course, I'm uh, kind of a a left-leaning guy, and (laughs) they tend to uh, (laughs) agree with with me a little bit more, so I guess maybe that's why I appreciated it. But it comes to a very satisfying conclusion, and I think that the writers and probably the cast were of the mindset of, like, we can't have a comedy about New York City cops anymore. And that's not the fault of the show, that's the fault of policing, so... They went out in a very satisfying way, all police issues aside, all the characters kind of go places where I felt like I didn't even know I needed them to do these things. But then when it happened, you're like, yep, that seems about right. So it ends in a good way. It didn't go so long that it started to suck, which happens with a lot of shows. They just keep going and keep going. (laughs) It's true. And it did have a a long run. It has... 153 episodes so it's not a short by any means but <laughs> i don't feel like it got to the point of uh getting tired and worn out that's so, important it's yeah. important to know when to stop it i have a question though did they deal with the pandemic at all they did okay because they kind of took a year off during all of that like right. like most shows did yeah and it didn't deal with it a lot they dealt more with issues of police brutality than they did with uh covid issues but both uh, are addressed. But okay. of course, uh, it's a police show, so that's going to be addressed more. Of course, yeah. yeah. I don't, again, I don't want to give away too much, but a, a person will left the show or left the police force on the show because that character felt that they weren't as a part of uh, the police force. That's not where they could do the most good. Mm. And I appreciated that. And then the conversations they have about it. But 
I'm not going to get into anything. I'll just say we'll that get there. for the most part, it is a straight up funny show. It is hilarious. It has good characters and it's all available on Netflix right now. So you can go watch them all. Okay, let's go watch it. Now? I just I just finished watching the oh, entire okay. series. We'll give it a month. <laughs> we'll start it in January. All right. <laughs> So our second sponsor of the day is Park Power, which is an Alberta energy supplier. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a good fit. So if you want to learn more about Park Power, you can go to parkpower.ca and uh, learn about how easy it is to switch uh, providers. Sounds good. Well, let's get into it. Get into it, uh, although we're probably like 40 minutes into this podcast. <laughs> what, let's get into it. Samantha, are we going to be watching next week so i am doing another i really love this i might still love it too episode okay um so 2003 mm-hmm. i remember it yeah uh i think i was in grade nine this was the peak keanu reeves time Oh, okay. And Let's he's, go. He's not like the main character of this movie, but he is a significant part. And um, if you listen to our Lake House episode, you know that I just like love Keanu Reeves forever and mm-hmm. ever. Uh, so this week's movie stars Jack Nicholson, Diane Keaton, Keanu Reeves, Francis McDormand, Amanda Peet, and John Favreau. In Favreau, I like that. T- oh, am I saying it wrong? No, that's that's more French than how he said. Oh, I assumed it had like a yeah, yeah, that makes sense. A fun thing on the end. Uh, in 2003's romantic comedy, something's got to give. I might have seen this. I had a feeling you might have. Didn't? Oh no, no way! I did okay. not see this. Okay. I was thinking of as good as it gets with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. Oh yeah, no, because that was that was good. I think. I don't remember. Something's Gotta Give. Well, if I have seen it, I definitely don't remember it. What's this movie about? Uh, So it is about an aging womanizer named Harry, who's played by Jack Nicholson, and his young girlfriend, played by Amanda Peet, and they take a weekend trip up to her family's beach house in the Hamptons, and they find out that her mother, Erica, who is played by Diane Keaton, also planned to stay for the weekend. And Erica is not for the relationship between Harry and her daughter. And Harry then has a health emergency and is stuck in that house with Diane Keaton uh, on bed rest. And then he falls in love with her? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, you ruined it for everyone. No, no, it's um, twisty and turny, but not like the book I was talking about (laughs) earlier. Keanu Reeves plays a doctor and there's a farmer's market scene and he's wearing a blue shirt. But this isn't a Keanu Reeves movie. (laughs) This is more about Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton. So as a, what, like 14-year-old, 
you're like, you know who I'm really into is Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson, or it was all about oh, Keanu? Oh, I saw this because Keanu Reeves was in it. But you still loved it. Oh, yeah. Because of non-Keanu things? I think I enjoyed the story, It's I, I, if I remember correctly. I haven't watched a trailer or anything, because I didn't want to remember anything specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do remember enjoying the story. I remember enjoying the, like, relationships that happened in this movie. And uh, it's just, like, a nice-looking movie, because it's set in this beautiful house, and it's set in the Hamptons, so you get, like, really nice beaches and stuff. And uh, it's, yeah, aside from it being what I remember to be a good movie, it's also just nice to watch, to look at. Oh, and this is a Nancy Myers. It is a Nancy Myers movie. Who is a big time. Yes, she has written a lot of romantic comedies. Are they good? Because I don't know many of them. I know she wrote The Intern. She wrote It's Complicated. Uh, which had Meryl Streep and Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin in it. She wrote The Holiday that had Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, and Jack Black in I it. I believe I've seen that and didn't like it. I saw it and I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, she... That movie tried to perpetuate the idea that Jack Black is charming. And I He's know not. everyone <laughs> loves Jack Black. I find him very annoying. I don't like him at all. Oh, okay. Jula, on the other hand. I, no, I see it. What? Everyone thinks he's like so dreamy and I just he don't is. see it. Young Jude Law? He's no Keanu Reeves. Well, who could be? <laughs> uh, she also wrote The Parent Trap, the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap. So she's she's done quite a few uh, movies that I've enjoyed. But this... Oh, and Father of the Bride. Yes, and Both Father of, of the them. Bride. I think those were good. And Parent Trap, I think, was good as well. I enjoyed Parent Trap. That was a fun movie. Um... Yeah, so I'm excited to see this one again. I have not watched it in years. Um, I thought it was on Netflix, which is why I picked it. It's actually on Prime with a subscription, so you may have to go to your local library and rent a copy. But uh, it's definitely out there. If you have the Stars subscription on Prime, though, you'll have access to it. And to go back, I'm not sure I hate the intern. I think I do. It's the internship. The internship. Yeah, that one is very bad. It's like uh, Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn work at Google. Oh, I do remember that. And yeah, they're they're like we're dumb. That's like the whole process. I think I think that I was think it. that's just the movie. I think I just described it for you. I think it was also sponsored by Google, probably. But I think the intern was also bad. And like everyone's like twelve and a super genius, and they're just like. It's it's like I'm watching the movie again. <laughs> I'm currently acting out the movie. Um, okay, now I just want to watch The Intern because I'm not sure. No, I think we could skip it. Okay. If you love it, you can do it on the show one time. I'll find it and I'll watch it and then maybe I'll love it and you'll have to watch it. I watched it on a plane. Oh, you watched it on a plane? Yeah. Usually if I watch something on a plane, I rate it much higher than if I had watched it on, uh, you know, land. Because you're so much more appreciative of any sort of, of entertainment, I think. What about on C? How do your ratings go on C? I don't C? watch a lot of movies on C, but I don't take a lot of uh, long boat rides. And when I have, it's usually on a boat where there's all sorts of stuff to do, so I don't sit and watch a movie. Oh. Well, when you're on a plane, you're in your seat. You're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Have you watched a lot of movies at C? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever been at C. 
Um, yeah, I've never been on a cruise. I took one from Oslo to Copenhagen and one from Stockholm to Riga, Latvia. Oh. Yeah. Does like the Parisian river boat tour count as a sea voyage? The Parisian what boat tour? River boat? No. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I don't want to ruin anything else. So no trailer for this one? No trailer for this one because I don't, I don't want to remember things. This is purely for me. So it is two hours and five minutes long. Oh, wow. That seems, that seems too long for a romantic comedy. And it is rated PG-13, just in case you need to get a note from your mom to watch it. You do. I do. I will get a note. So yeah, uh, check out Something's Gotta Give, starring Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton and Keanu Reeves. And uh, let us know what you think next week when we talk about what Indy thought of this movie. And you. And If it me. holds up. I hope it holds up. I really do. I always get sad when things with Keanu Reeves don't hold up. Oh, you have a, a lot of sadness in your future. <laughs> He's done a lot of garbage. A lot of good stuff. A lot of garbage, too. I'm already crying. Yeah. <laughs> Inside. Wait till you rewatch Matrix 3. Okay, well, we will see you next week, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Jack Nicholson. Sorry. Jack Jack Nicholson and Jack Nicholson.